Obviously, we are here to worship the Lord and to learn from His Word and spend a little time together doing the things that God has ordained for us to do. I'm excited about the message today because it's uh, really, really uh, took me something to process it and accept it for what it is, and I'm excited to bring it to you. I hope that it'll be the same thing for you. And I know I've seen the teachers prepare it, and they're excited for the kids' lessons, and so it's going to be a good time that we have here together today. I want to remind you, it'll be here before you realize it, just a month away is... Uh, all a lot of fun, the Fall Fest, it's on Halloween, and it'll be opposite trick-or-treat, 
And so it is our alternative trick or treat. We'll do games all the way down the hallway, back and forth all the way down the hallway, and then go through, and then go through again around the other side. But that means we need all the people we can possibly get to come up with games and to run games. Last year when we started right on, we started right on time, and there was a middle section of the hallway with like four games, and there was somebody had, had to go boom, 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 and like one of our workers had to run all four of those games. And, and so we need all the people to show up and bring the games. And in the meantime, we're donating candy. And so if you have uh, individually wrapped candy, or when you get to the grocery store and you're buying your groceries, doesn't hurt you to pick up a bag of candy, bring it to church uh, with you the next week and donate it. And uh, that'll be a, an honorarium, if you will, that started and we'll have lots of candy and lots of fun for the kids on Halloween. Uh, and then just a remind, couple quick reminders, just because I have your ear right at the moment, remind you that you are entitled to a free Right Now Media membership. If you don't already have that, if you haven't looked at that, that's over 2,500 kids shows and over 20,000 Bible studies literally on every topic you can possibly imagine. So... They're video, they're, prompt, they're good teachers, uh, it's safe material, it's not the kind of thing where you're going to get some whacked out church guy somewhere teaching you something that don't make any sense or you're going to have to question it. You, can't, you, should, you can and you should always question any teacher, including me, okay? So you should always do that and look at what you're being taught and make sure it lines up with scripture, okay? But that being said, that's free to you. And the code is in the bulletin, and I can get it to you again. You just text it, and then you download it, and then it's on your phone. You can watch it on your phone, on your tablet, uh, on your smart TV, whatever, and it's free. Okay. And then, reminder that we're doing spiritual discipline emphasis right now is on prayer. So we're asking you to pray, to pray for one another, to pray for our community, to pray for our government, uh, which is uh, essentially elected by us. We vote, and that's how it's done. So pray for our leaders. Pray for Tony. He's back in New York, uh, upstate New York today. He'll be home tomorrow evening. Had to drive all the way back to New York to pick up the rig because he wasn't allowed to bring it home. And so he had to come back to New York to pick up the rig. Uh, and so then he couldn't be here today because they made him do it today. So Because they want to use the rig for something else tomorrow. You know, it's always when you're employed, you got you kind of got another master in your life. You've got to sort those things out. And Brother Tony loves the Lord and misses you today and praying for you. I'm sure he's driving to him from New York. Alright, so we'll pray for him. Also pray for Miss June. She's still facing some health things and really needs a surgery that's a pretty big deal. And she can't get that until she can quit smoking and she's trying real hard to do that. So pray for her. And then you may have some others. Uh, is there someone someone whose name you'd like to call this morning before we pray? Yes, Carrie. Connie. Okay. Connie and family. Connie and family. Alright. Okay. To draw close to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Amen. Uh, my ex boss at Conway, her name is Christine. She tested positive with COVID this week and she has some serious health concerns. Okay. Yeah, I, I just saw a commercial and they mentioned how you know, COVID goes after people who have other health concerns, and that really is what we suffered from during the, the height of the pandemic was people who had other health concerns mixed with COVID really suffered badly. Caitlin? Uh, okay. My friend Clyde from uh, Holti just had a, an appendectomy um, like a month ago. So apparently being old, you can suddenly, your appendix just decides to leave. And it's like, I'm done. And then you have to take it out. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter your age. It's not a kid thing. It used to be a lot of times we say, oh, it only happens to kids, but it doesn't. It can be anybody. Praise the Lord. Uh, here. Mike Brister. I know his knee's pretty messed up right now. Yeah, so they're waiting to find out the full results of that, but he was stepping off the bleachers and wrenched his knee really bad, 
And so pray for him, absolutely, because that could be anything from, you know, the guy might have to do an MRI, and if they do, then it could be torn, it could be knees, can be, might have to be replaced, which they're really good at that now, but it's something you never want to have happen. James said nothing's broken, but they're sending him to a surgeon. Yeah, so that's a little broken. Yeah, it's probably Yeah. Okay, any others? All right, so Tony Tate, Brother Tony Tate, I have you listed to pray, and then you can call on one person after you to pray after you, okay? All right. Um, Lord, looking at the design of his cross and the heart, um, God, I thank you for this time, and Lord, I'm thinking about that, that God, love is that, that there wasn't a heart over that cross, God. If it wasn't for your love, even before we messed up in the garden, Throughout the whole Bible, God, it's always your love profoundly proclaiming that um, you're going to save us, you can rescue us, God, that we were destined to for greater things with you. And God, nobody understands all that. It's, it's not supposed to be because it was your love. It, it's your understanding. It's your hope. God, we thank you for your love, your truth tonight. And for today, you would speak through our our pastor, you'd speak through our praise team that are already here and already at the classes. And no matter what, God, even if there's just a bunch of noise going on, we will we will hear a whisper, that gentle whisper, that you love us and we are loved. And then we find out what that love is and who that love is and how we may follow that love through your trust. In Jesus' name. And I call on someone who's praise. Call on, call on Sherry. Grace Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for all the people that are here, for the young people. Uh, Lord, I ask you to be with those that couldn't be here today for whatever reason. There's a lot of health concerns. Lord, lift them up. Help them to be strong. Give them comfort today. Guide us as we worship you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to stand up again. We're not going to sit down long today. Up again. All right, so these next two songs are call and response songs, which simply means we're going to take turns singing. Okay? It's really simple. They teach you how to take turns in kindergarten. Not everybody's good at it. That's okay. We're going to learn. So we're going to split the room right here in the middle. So Becca and Tommy are on separate teams.
come to the front. We're going to do motions and call and response at the same time. Stand up. Come on. Come on, children. Stand up. Let's go. All right. We'll stand here and wait for you then. Come on. Yes, stand up. All right. So while we're doing the motions, children are going to follow Amalia. Adults are going to follow me. Which means, children, you have to sing words and do motions at the same time. You can do it. You can do okay? it. Okay? We'll go first so you can echo. It'll be fine. There is something about doing motions along while you're singing that, first of all, is hard, and, and somehow it's kind of extra fulfilling. And I don't understand why it is that, it's a, that young people can do motions and, and sing at the same time, and I struggle with it so bad. I guess I'm just like stuck in a path or whatever, but I don't have to get rid of either, so I just do what I can. All right, so we're at the moment of our inspirational moment, and we're going to talk briefly about prayer, because that's our uh, spiritual discipline. Uh, in November... November 22nd, we will switch spiritual discipline from between now and then. So that's all the month of October, and the first 22 days of November, and the last couple of days of September, our focus is on prayer. And we've talked about prayer uh, probably a dozen different ways now, um, and you've noticed that we started doing the bulletin where somebody will pray, and somebody will call on somebody else to pray. In the Bible, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says something specific about prayer. Tommy, do you know what that is? Second Thessalonians 5.17. What did it say about prayer? I know. Pray unceasingly. Pray unceasingly. Very good. That's very good. That's correct. So it says pray without ceasing or unceasing. That's right. So pray all the time. So if somebody calls on you to prayer, and if you are praying all the time, then it really shouldn't be that hard. You just say, start saying out loud what you're already thinking or feeling in your head. Obviously, if you're called on to prayer, you're a unique individual. So you're going to pray a little bit differently than anybody else. It should be conversational between you and God. If you talk to God like he's a complete stranger, it's probably because he is. 
And if God is a complete stranger to you, then that's not what Jesus died for. Right? He died so that we may enter the holy of holiest places. So we may go directly into the throne room of God. And Paul says this is to come boldly into the throne room of God. There is a parable I share with you uh, that Jesus taught. It's about a, a widow and an unjust judge. The man who didn't really follow the law, he didn't care about justice. Uh, in fact, in this parable, it's one of the only parables in which God is pictured as not, a, not the nice guy. Right? God's always the good guy. In the parable of the uh, prodigal son, God is the father who runs down off the porch and grabs his son and kisses him on the neck and gives him the robe and the ring and the sandals and kills the fatted cat and celebrates his coming home even though he was disrespectful, right? And all that. Uh, but in this story, God is pictured as the unjust judge, at least for a moment. And what he says is, there's a widow who needs justice. And she keeps coming to the unjust judge. She keeps banging on his door and asking him, will you give me justice? Will you give me justice? Will you give me justice? And finally, the unjust judge says, not because I care about justice, but just because this widow is going to tire me out with coming, that I'll give her what it is that she's asking for to get her justice. And then Jesus says, how much more will your heavenly Father, who loves you, give you of his Holy Spirit, right? But don't stop asking is the moral of the story. Sometimes we say, well, I prayed and God didn't answer, so then we just stop praying. First of all, God never does an answer. You may not like the answer, so you may not want to hear the answer. The answer may be a flat-out no, or maybe we're going to do something differently, or I have another plan, or I'm showing you something and you're ignoring it. Nobody likes to hear some of those corrective things that God has to say. But the bottom line is he's there, and he always answers. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, he always answers. Now, if you say, well, God has never answered my prayer, then the truth is you're probably not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and need to become one. Except Jesus is Lord, that means he tells you what to do, and Savior, that means he paid the price for your sins. Admit that you need that, believe in him for it, and commit your life to follow him and be saved. And there's a prayer that God promises he'll always answer. And then from then on, he'll hear your every prayer and answer. And you can pray literally all day long. They say that most people average between 160 and 320 self-words a minute. That means you're talking to yourself even right now while I'm talking to you. Your mouth isn't moving, but in your head you're thinking things. You've been thinking about whatever. The whole time I've been talking to you. Now if you can just take 10% of that and turn it, turn it into talking to the Lord, then 2 Thessalonians 5.17 would be a reality in your life. You'd be talking to God all the time that you're awake. All right? So that's about prayer for today. What do you got? What did you see this week? Or what did you hear from the Lord this week? Oh, Jason first and then here. Um, so on Saturday, I was at home playing with Tyrell. And he brought up the fact that one of our friends, his name is Audie, lost his father to a car accident when he was four or five years old. Mm -hmm. And he's been depressed about it ever since. And I want to pray for him that um, God can really something on his heart to help him. Feel better about it. That's a good word. That's a good word. Every tragedy that we hear about, going right to prayer for that person. I was, I'll never forget, I was a young Christian. I was only like about a, maybe saved a year, if that. And I was driving on the expressway, and I was driving past a terrible accident on 475. And I was going northbound, and they had that big grass median in the middle, and then there was cars going southbound, and everybody was slowing down. It's kind of bottlenecking, and the accident was in the middle between and there were like three or four cars, and it, 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 it obviously was really bad. The cars were just destroyed. And um, just as I was driving past it, the announcer came on the radio and mentioned it. It said that traffic's backed up on 475. It was a bad accident involving three or four cars, and at least one person dead on the scene and others injured. 
and it happened to be a Christian radio station. He said, so if you're out there driving right now and you're hearing this, would you lift up a prayer to the Lord? Would you ask God to use this terrible, tragic event somehow to bring somebody closer to him? And from that time on, I've always thought, every time I hear about bad things, or people are trying to recover from illnesses or whatever, I always think, as much as we have a hard time understanding it, that tragedy can be formative in, in his life and in the lives of the people in his family and so on. And his dad may have gone to heaven. We hope he did, um, but he may not have. But the fact is that event can be used to bring lots of people to Jesus if it's if God gets his way. That's what he wants. What was your friend's first name again? Audie. Okay, so we're right now, join me in prayer for Artie. Okay, let's do it. Audie. 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 Yes. Not Artie. Audie. Audie. Okay, here we go. Father in heaven, you know the situation for Audie better than we do. And it's hard. There are already so many people in the world who don't have a human dad. And sometimes it's because their human dad is irresponsible or because uh, he's in the military, because he's addicted to drugs. And there are lots of reasons why a child might not have their dad in their life. And here is Audie not having his dad in his life because his dad was killed in a car accident or a tragedy in any case when he was four or five years old. And that means he's going to grow up without a dad like that. And so we're asking the Lord to be his father, to take care of him every moment of every day. We're asking you, Lord, to use that event, that tragic event, in a powerful way in Audie's life and the life of his family to draw them closer to you, that they might know heaven one day and that they might know the kingdom of God here on earth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, who else? Are they have something? Okay. So when me and you met on Friday, I told you about a song that I, I like, and it's unfortunately it's got a couple of customers hanging around to share the song. But um, some of the questions, some one of the things that I brought up was as we walk with God and as we're trying to get closer, we always there's always there's always questions that rise up. Okay, so we we always ask questions, and sometimes a lot of those questions are why questions. Yeah. Like, why does this happen? Why Why am I this way? Why is that person that way? Why am I being treated like this? A lot of them are why questions. And my personal opinion, I think some of those are the hardest questions to answer. And there's a song, there's a song that I like listening to, and the song's called Dear God, and he's basically asking God these same questions. And um, I'll read a couple of them says, why do I hurt? Why is there pain? Why does everything good always have to change? Why does everyone try to profit off another man's word, then destroy it just for monetary gain? And when I told you about that, one of the answers is greed. And uh, a little bit further down, a little bit more, it says, uh, tell me what's real, tell me what's fake, why is everything about you a debate? What's the point of love? Every time I've showed it, I was broken and it forced me just only want to hate. So we try we try to show love to people and I've asked myself that question many times, like, why should I have to love that person when all they do is hate me anyway? And why should I show respect to that person? Because the way I was raised and the way I was brought up was is you show you show me respect, I'll show you respect. Right. And that is one of the biggest things I've seen the world try to teach people is right. respect earned is respect gained. 
right. or something like that, and that is not true at all. Right. That is a hundred percent the opposite of what God tells us to do. Right. And so it's really hard for me because, like I said, that's how I was raised. So I have a really hard time respecting people. So I ask God that question a lot, like, why do I have to do this? And the answer is extremely simple, because God said so. And I think a lot of those questions that we have on, on like a lot of those why questions, those really, those really deep questions that pop up a lot, the answer is simple, because God said so. And it's kind of like when we tell our kids something and they always, well, why? Because I'm the parent and I said so. Right. God is our father, and because he said so, therefore we have to do it. Amen. I think it goes a little farther than that, too. It's because God loves us. Amen. Yeah, why did God put the, why are the stars in the sky? Because God said so. Why did he do that? Because he loves us. <clears throat> because he wanted a relationship with us. We're both are awesome. Yep. Um, I have a Bible verse that deals with bravery. Okay, let's hear it. Um, nice and loud. It's first question. Um, and it says, Then you will succeed if you carefully follow the statues and ordinance the Lord commanded the Lord be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged. What's that verse mean to you, Bill? Um, I was looking through the Bible up, and when I found that verse, it ticked out to me because it's, um, it said, if you follow what God tells you to do, then um, if you be brave and follow what God tells you to do, He's going to help you get better at being brave at Hard stuff. Right. That's very good. I'm going to stop right there before you steal my sermon. Okay. All right. Anybody else? Real quick, Dad. I'm glad. Okay. Go. There was a movie scene that just popped into my head. It's from, um, I think it's from Evan Almighty, where Morgan Freeman's playing God and he's sitting in the he's sitting in the place and he says, "Well, does God give us courage or does He give us opportunities to be courageous?" And or does and it, he said a couple more, but that one really stuck out. And it's like, you know, when we ask for something, does he actually give it to us? Or does he just give us those opportunities to be that? So, I'm currently watching uh, The Rings of Power on Amazon Prime. Uh-huh. And I apologize if anybody's watching this at this point, but I'm showing a clip from there because the clip's really powerful. The message in it really spoke to me. And... Uh, I think the rest of us can get something better. All right, let's watch TV. Uh, before, before we start it, um, I'll, I'll open the scene with, it's Durin, the, the prince of the dwarves, uh, the dwarven nation, and he is confronting his father because Durin did something and screwed up pretty bad and almost got uh, like four of their people killed. In an accident, and he's basically coming to him for forgiveness and apology. Because uh, the, through the wisdom of a great friend, he wishes to make things right with his king before it's too late. The king has to and there's a sword. Ah, there's a sword. 
Forgive me, Father. I was proud and stubborn and I was wrong. Can you not even look at me? Our people believe that when a new dwarf king is crowned, the voices of all his forebears flow into him, sharing with him their counsel. Wisdom, even the mistakes. But you, you need not wait for that day to hear my voice. chance to respond. He immediately just jumped to the conclusion that his father wouldn't even want to look at him because of his shame. The feeling of shame will chew a person up inside, even to the point where you begin to question other loyalties and to take an accusatory stance with them. His father reminds him that he is not the first dwarf to make a mistake. He reminds Durin that he is with him now and will always be. The king's word are a message that even when God's wrath was over us, no, especially then, that he loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. Amen. A loving father does not forsake his child because the child acts against him or is disobedient. The king sees Durin's shame. He says, forever am I with you, my son. Even in anger, sometimes in anger most of all, there is nothing to forgive. He assures the prince that even when he screws up, he can always come to his father. Just like Durin, we can go to our heavenly father. Even in the darkest pits of our shame, if you give your life to Christ, then there is no more forgiveness required. There is nothing to forgive. Jesus has taken all of your guilt and your shame upon himself so that we may know that we can always come to the father. Okay, at this point in time, we're going to pray and transition to tithes and offerings. And as I mentioned before, Deacon Tony is uh, probably not quite in New York yet, but he's on his way there, so I'll pray in his stead, and then I will call on somebody at the end. Since I already fair warned you, it could be anybody. Pray with me. Let's go. Father in heaven, we praise you for who you are. You love us, and you love us so much that you gave us everything then forgave us everything. We could 
sit here and list the things that we've done wrong. Maybe that would make us more grateful for the salvation paid for. But you have brought us to a place where we're really supposed to let that stuff go and live for you from here on out. The old stuff passed away. Everything new has come. We praise you, Father, for your awesome willingness, all your power, put to the task saving us and those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We confess we need that forgiveness because we do make mistakes. Though, as Ron, and I think you through Ron reminds us, we will not be, never will we ever be, the first human to make a mistake, no matter how bad that mistake might be. Many have gone before us, and it seems like every mistake that's ever been made has already been made, and we, we make mistakes. We're just walking in the sins of our forefathers. Please forgive us when we fail you then and lift us up and thank you for the gifts that you've given us. Thank you for even the tithes and offerings that are about to be given. We pray that you'll use those things, use us, use our time left together today to glorify you. Help us to remember that you are at work for us. Yet at this late hour, you've never stopped working, trying to draw people to yourself. We're grateful for that. And ask you, Lord, as we continue to pray to bless your people. Carrie, would you pray for us? We say you do not come here for the righteous, but you come here for the sinner, Almighty God. I um, I pray that I walk right upright in your arms and in the path of your warnings. I love you, God, and I thank you with my whole heart. May you help us all. All the sick that call upon you, God, may you heal them from their illness and their sins. In Christ I pray. In Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Okay. So it says 11 on the screen, but it's actually 12. And that's my fault because I never gave the reference and title to Alicia so she could put in the PowerPoint. So don't worry about the PowerPoint. Worry about the Bible. Chapter 12 of the book of Deuteronomy. Amen. Thank you, Brother Ron. Anybody else got an amen for chapter 12 of the book of Deuteronomy? Amen. Thank you, Carrie. I heard that. Anybody else? I hear anybody else? I'm looking. Amen. All right, Kishon. All right. So, when I was in sixth grade, I joined the track team. And we would run laps around the gym. We started before the weather got decent, and we would run and run and run. And I got the impression that the running was supposed to make us better at running. You know what I'm saying? Then it came spring, and we went out on the track. Now, this is back a while. And they decided in the, over the winter that I would be a long-distance runner. That's the last thing I wanted to be, because while I was out there to run, I kind of enjoyed running, like the feeling of the wind in my face, you know, and I like to hang out with the track team, and I was pretty fast. The truth is, I was pretty fast. Probably could have done very well. Um, we get out to the track, and it was gravel back then, and then they went and they introduced us to the start line. And I thought, well, this is very interesting. This is where we're going to stand, and they said, well, you're going to, you start, you staggered a little bit everybody at the start line, but we don't have the blocks right now and stuff, and so you're just going to run. We're going to run the 400 yards or whatever it is, quarter of a mile, and see how you do. Okay, and they were trying to place us as part of what would become the relay team. And so we said, well, what's going to be the finish line? Finish line is going to be the start line. Now, I had never watched track in my life. I had never run track in my life, and I thought that was a little bit peculiar to start at the finish line. And I thought that was interesting. You know, why, why it per- happened was because the start line and the finish line, as you can imagine being the same thing, was centered in front of the stands. So as you would run, you would start at the start line, you run all the way around the track, and you'd finish at the finish line, and they could watch you right there. They could see you start, and they could see you end, and they could see you in the distance halfway through the race. But they could see you at the start and see you at the end. Now, they don't do this exactly the same way uh, now as they did it back then. But the bottom line is, I thought, okay, we can do that. And so we started to run, and we run the quarter mile. And I ran, and I did okay. I was in the middle of the pack or whatever. And then the coach came, and he coached us. And he says, here's what I want you to do. So when you start off the start line, you've got to be ready. I mean, when that gun goes off, the pot goes off, you've got to move. You've got to really get up. The person who gets off the blocks the fastest, you can't go early, but the person who gets off the blocks the fastest, has got a good early lead in the race. I mean, you might have a stride or two strides, and they might only win the race by a stride or two. So you really got to get off the blocks fast. And so we practice, and we practice running. We just run like 20 yards, and we go back to the blocks again, and we go off the blocks again, and then we go off the blocks again, and we do it over and over. And I got the impression that getting off the blocks was about getting off the blocks. Thousands or hundreds, anyway, of repetitions. Getting off the blocks was about getting good at getting off the blocks. Then when you come around the track, they've removed the blocks. Nowadays, I think they do it like they start them off on a slant. I think it's how the Olympics does it. But anyway, the blocks are gone. You come around, and you got to cross the finish line. And he said, here's what I want you to do. When you get in the last leg of the race, as you're approaching the finish line, I want you to run faster than all the rest of the time. Right? So however fast you've been running, 
It's almost over. Now pile it on. Go as fast as you can go to the finish line. Make it look like you've got plenty of juice left. Blow by them if you can. To go at the finish line as hard as you possibly When you get to the finish line, you should have nothing left. And if you, do, if you run as fast as you can for the first three quarters and then run even faster in the last quarter, you'll have an actual chance of winning the race. And so what did we do? We ran the race, and we come to the final quarter, and he said, now run as fast. Just do it right now. He would show us the mark. He'd say, right here. And he'd go, now. And we were supposed to turn up the speed. And I got the impression that running toward the finish line, as we did it over and over and over and over again, the more exhausted we would get, we'd take little breaks and stuff, and we'd do it again, drink plenty of water, do it again. And I got the impression that running that last leg of the race toward the finish line was about running that last leg of the race toward the finish line. And I actually got pretty good at getting off the blocks and reasonably good at running the middle of the race. And pretty darn good at running that last leg faster than I had run the whole rest of the time. And, and in practice, I never wound up competing because that year I hurt my knee and I used the, the truth, truth is I quit just about everything I ever started as a non-Christian. And I used the pain in my knee as an excuse to not compete. I quit the week before the first track meet. But the bottom line is I got pretty good. As we ran around those laps, I got pretty good at running the laps. As we started over and over and over again, I got pretty good at starting. And as we finished over and over again, I got pretty good at finishing. I want you to bear that in mind then as we look at chapter 12. And we'll do this. We're going to be in chapter 12 for two weeks. I'm going to leave out a really important topic. I'll mention it as I go by, but I'm going to leave it out today. And we're coming back to it. And that will be our topic for next week. The Lord has already, in fact, I already know the sermon title for next week. So I can get, I'll make sure and get it to you. I can get it to you today. I'm going to tell it to you during the sermon today. But here we go. All right. So now. Deuteronomy chapter 12 begins like this. Listen to the word of the Lord. These are the statutes and the judgments which you shall carefully observe in the land which the Lord, the God, our fathers, your fathers, has given you to possess as long as you live on the earth. So God is going to move them into the promised land. He said, these are the statutes and the judgments. Now, one second back up. Notice that at the end of the previous chapter, verse 32, 31 and 32, it says, For you are about to cross the Jordan to go and to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall possess it and live in it, and you shall be careful to do all the statutes and judgments which I am setting before you today. And then again in 12.1, he said, These are the statutes and the judgments. So every person, I'm not this person, but every really big theological person who's ever studied this and really drilled it down and whatever, and they said, well, the first 11 chapters are really about, Moses was telling them about the commandments and what, you know, what happened and, and come down off the mountain and these are the bad things that happened and so on. And then starting in chapter 12, he's going to start to get specific. And if you just flip a little forward in your Bible for a second, he's going to start to talk about things like idolatry and clean and unclean animals and the feasts and stuff like that. So it's true. Beginning here, he's going to get pretty specific. But before he does that, there's something that he wants to show us today, thousands of years later, and wanted to show them that he didn't want them to miss. And I want you to see it the way we're looking at this scripture today is going to help us see it. So, the, so he's kind of repeating it, but now he's going to get into some specifics. In verse 2, he's, he says this, You shall utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. So in other words, when they took over the land and they begin to rule the land, they're supposed to go everywhere that a false god was worshipped, destroy that altar, tear everything down, be rid of it. Okay, That's a preventative measure. 
Okay? Let me get aside for one second before I get on to the main topic of the sermon and say to you, if you have something in your life that is a remnant from your old life, or if you have friends and family that are bringing in remnants of the world into your life, you're going to have to get aggressive. You own your life in the Lord, but you own your life. You're the one that's going to have to say, there is no place for that anymore. Okay? And when you really, truly rule it out, and, and you're like, well, but if I really, truly cut that out, I may lose friends, or I may lose this ability to feel a certain way or do a certain thing, if it's really gone, I lose something. Whatever you would lose, you must depend upon the Lord for him to replace it with that what he wants to replace it with. That's part of Christianity. And so the land in which God is taking us into to possess, he is saying, when you dispossess that, get rid of, utterly destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, all those places. So that's about a place, it's about a where. Verse 3 says, And you shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and burn their ashram with fire, and you shall cut down the engraved images of their gods, and you shall obliterate their name from that place. Now notice this is all about getting rid of all the trappings of religion. This is, these are not just a, you know, some cool cleft in a mountain somewhere where people go to pray and they think they have to feel something there. This is developed religion. You're taking down the poles, you're taking down the pillars, you're taking down the places, the engraved image, etc. He's saying, obliterate all that. Rule out every other, po- completely rule it out, destroy every other possible religion so that there is only me to follow. That's what God is saying to them. Verse 4. You shall not act like this toward the Lord your God. So in other words, don't do the kinds of things that they used to do. Because if, if there's an ashram pole or whatever, there's a, a, a shrine there, someone might say, well, you know, that's a shrine. It's obviously, a, bless you, it's obviously a holy place, right? So instead of totally destroying it, we're going to go in and take away every image that has anything to do with this false god and false worship, and we're going to turn it into a place to worship God. Because it's a pretty cool place. I mean, it's got, they built a wall. They've got a shrine kind of thing there. We can reuse it. We'll just reuse it. We'll just get rid of everything that has to do with the false religion. Bless you again. But he says this. He says, you shall not act like this toward the Lord your God. All these other forms of worship that are practiced in other religions, we cut those things out, he says. But you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God shall choose from all your tribes. He's talking about the establishment of the temple, right? He will seek a place to establish his name there for his dwelling, and there you shall come. So wherever you live in the land, you will come up there to worship. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contributions of your hand, your votive offering, a votive offering is, like a, is an offering that you set up there. It might be, it could be a statue, or it could be gold, or it could be, it's something. It's not an animal, right? It's something you set it up there and leave it at the altar, a votive offering. Or your free will offerings, that would, could be anything you decide that the Lord kind of presses, anything you decide to give to the Lord, above and beyond what's required, beyond the tithe, beyond the offering. You find something, you go like, oh, Grandpa died, and you know, of course we're going to tithe on the wealth that we got from that. But on top of that, here's these nice things that Grandpa had, and we're going to give those too. You know? And also, now we have way too many sheep. We're going to have an extra seven sheep, whatever. Those are all free will offerings. And so you're going to bring those up to the place that God sets up his worship, your, your free will offerings. And he says, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. Okay, so they already knew they were supposed to give the firstborn. And it's first fruits of everything. The first 10% of everything. That's the tithe. And so they're supposed to take that up to the place that God would establish. Notice he's setting up a central place of worship. Verse 7. 
There also you and your household shall eat before the Lord your God and rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. So they're not going to just go up there for a hot minute and drop everything off and be done. They're going to go up there and kind of relish in it. They're going to eat from the stuff that they're donating so that they can kill it, take the meat, eat, and that kind of thing. Right? They're going to rejoice in what God has done. Verse 8, you shall not do at all what we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. In other words, it's not going to be we all kind of do it our own way. There is going to be an organized way that this is going to be done, and there's going to be an organized place in which it's going to be done. Verse 9, you have not as yet come to the resting place and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. So right now it's okay that everybody's kind of doing it their own way, but there is going to be an established way when we get in there. Verse 10, when you cross the Jordan and live in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies around you so that you live in security. Then it shall come about that the place in which the Lord your God shall choose for his name to dwell, there you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your contribution of your hand, your choice votive offerings, which you will vow to the Lord. So remember, he's saying do all of that. Bring it all to that central location, verse 12. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, who is within your gates. The Levite was the kind of priestly people that were chosen, right? And they didn't have a portion. It says he has no portion or inheritance with you. So they didn't get a portion of the land because their, their portion was God. And said, so all the people will get to eat and rejoice when you all bring it together at the central temple. 13. Be careful that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every cultic place you see, but in the place where the Lord chooses in one of your tribes, there you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I command you. Now notice, they've, they wiped out all of the religious places, but they're still cultic places. These are the smaller places, not as established. So, so for us, it'd be like, I'm not saying we would ever do this, but if we went through the land and wiped out all of the church buildings, there's still going to be little shrines here and there, places that people go to kind of spend time with God, uh, up on the mountain where you feel very like a very powerful presence of God, places like that. And he says, no, you can't do that. You can't go there and worship. You have to go to the central place that I'm going to give you. You can't go there and make your burnt offerings. You have to go to the central place I'm going to give you. We're halfway done with the text. However, you may slaughter and eat meat within any of your gates. So anywhere you are, you can slaughter and eat meat. Whatever you desire, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you, the unclean and the clean may eat of it. So anybody can eat of it. As of the gaz-